welcome to an amazingly new episode of Oak and Bros. I'm Eric. And I'm Michael. Like, subscribe, share. And leave comments down below. Thanks, Rob, from Toronto. Yes. For being our main liker and commenter down below. So we have a very special guest today. We always have special guests. They're very special people. They're very, this guy, especially. Yes. Is special. I got to say, Stephen, I don't read a lot on LinkedIn, but your posts are unbelievable. Introduce this guy because I can't wait to get into this. Stephen, you know, we connected on LinkedIn and um, Stephen Shanker, uh, he's a lawyer, correct? And um, we, we connected on LinkedIn and, and he deals a lot with our industry, with the chauffeured car industry, especially in New York. And we've had um, like opinions on lots of topics. And yes. then one thing led to another and LinkedIn is amazing. You the know, three of us absolutely hate Uber. I think we're... We hate, we hate Uber. We're all in agreement that Uber is no good. But before we start that, Stephen, you do these posts on LinkedIn. Your history posts. Your history posts. I'm a history buff. I've written a lot of books on history. I want to know how this all started. Start with these insanely cool posts. And you got to send Harvey some of these yeah, I'll to send post some up. Screenshots. How do you get these pictures of New York City back in the 1900s? Believe it or not, I have a friend who has the same type of um, desire as I do to learn about, I'll call it the, the days of past of New York City, where you have buildings that are no longer in existence, architecture, uh, and things of historical significance. And I guess one day I just decided to post something that I thought was cool. I think it was a picture of the old Singer building in uh, downtown Broadway, where most people would never know what the Singer building is. And I looked at it and I said, you know, this is absolutely amazing. And most people will never know that it was once the tallest building in the world and it's no longer with us. And you got a nice, ugly building that's in its place. So uh, one of the things that I posted about it is, you know, maybe people should think about creation rather than destruction because look what happened here you created a beautiful building and you destroyed it looks what's in its place all in the name of progress so i got a bunch of comments a bunch of responses from people who said oh i really like it so i continued to do it and then the more i did it the more people responded about oh yeah i remember that or oh that was beautiful or just a bunch of comments and it was uh something that i enjoy doing and the fact that people respond to me and say uh, oh, I really love your posts and the things that you uh, write about it. Please keep doing it. Just encourages me even more. But you know what it is? Like, it keeps you relevant. And that's what's amazing about LinkedIn is he's picking, he's a lawyer that deals with chauffeur car, among other things, I assume. We'll, In the tri-state we'll, we'll, area. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll learn, we'll learn more about that. But what the cool thing is, is it ke it's keeping him relevant. It got us connected with him and... I learn something new every day when I read yeah. a Steven Schenker post. Right. Every day. Take us, take us to the beginning. Were, you know, how did you start? Did you always want to be a lawyer? Did, were you, did you love the ground travel yeah, industry? Like how like, did you get hooked up into the ground travel yeah. business? Well, I want to hear the history of who you are. Well, becoming a lawyer, I don't know if I grew up and said, oh, I want to be a lawyer. I think maybe sometime when I was in college, I said, hmm, what am I going to do with a political science degree? Not going to politics, that wasn't my thing. So I said, well, I tend to be able to talk pretty well. I'm good with uh, oration and uh, never back down from a good argument. So I thought law school would be a good thing. And fortunately, I did well in law school. And after I left uh, law school, I uh, worked for three years for the New York City Corporation Counsel's Office in their 
workers' comp division. And through the workers' comp process, obviously, uh, I handled a number of cases. But once I left working for the city, I got introduced to uh, one of the uh, uh, livery base owners in New York City, who at the time, you know, this is 2002, uh, I had uh, spoken to them and they had a problem with regard to employer-employee relationship, being held responsible for uh, workers' comp and other types of benefits and asked if I could help him out. So I started helping him out, did a good job for him. And then one thing led to another. I started doing more work for him. Then I got introduced to owners of black car bases, luxury limousine bases, then the trade organizations. And I guess my work and reputation was good enough where people started talking and they said, if you, you need either legal work, business consultation, uh, someone to, uh, I guess, be what I call your trusted advisor, uh, you know, call Steve. So kind of like, um, I guess, you know, some people tell me my reputation has preceded myself, but I never let it get to my head. You know what? It's funny. I always say this, once you enter the limo industry, you never can get out. I agree 100%. You know, and that's on the lawyering side too, which is very, very interesting. You never hear someone go, I used to own a limousine service. Yeah, no. Right? And once, now I own a floral shop. Like you yeah. just never hear that. Yeah. Once it's such an easy, but what I love about the industry is so it's so easy to scale that, you know, things are down. I mean, we're in a, we're in a down period now. We're, we're talking live from coronavirus. To 2020. 2020, right? Coron hashtag coronavirus 2020. Um, you know, and it's easy to get rid of cars and to scale back on on such a huge yeah, it's, expense. It's, but it's also easy to, oh, we're slamming busy. We got to add, you know, 10 well, cars. I, don't wanna, I think saying easy is the wrong word. I think that it's doable and, and you can scale. But all in all, it is heartbreaking to do whatever we're doing right now because, no, you know. Horrible. You know, it's but, horrible. It sucks. But yeah. you, you got to wait. You got to. There's just, nothing we can do. Nothing about you it. can do. It's at, right. this is out. Of, this is a hurricane that's completely out of our control. A tsunami right. that's right. completely out of our control. What do you? What's your thoughts on what's happening today, Stephen? With well, um, with coronavirus, we don't really like to get into politics much, but you know, what's your thoughts on it? Well, I mean, in and of itself, it's you know a terrible thing, especially now that you know people are. Uh, believe it or not, this morning I posted something. It was kind of uh, funny how there was a fight that I saw between two women in a shopping mart over uh, a pack of toilet paper. I said, "Is this what the world has come to? That people right. are fighting over toilet paper?" I mean, literally, and involved in a physical altercation. So you know, right. it's a terrible thing. But um, you know, if people practice you know good hygiene, wash your hands, things you should normally do, not sneeze on your neighbor, uh, you probably will be very safe and wouldn't have too much of an issue. Uh, of course, you know, most people are staying out of New York City as much as possible. But as far as ground transportation is concerned. I don't think it could come it could have come at a worse time. I mean, usually or typically the uh, first quarter of every year is, is slow or slower than it was the you know preceding quarter at the end of uh, each year. But to come at an already you know slow time of the year couldn't couldn't be worse, especially for companies that are I'll call on the downslope or still you know hanging on simply because of what I call the ongoing Uber effect. Right. That segues into my next question. What, what are your thoughts on Uber? I mean, go for broke, you know, like just don't hold back. What's your, what's your, what are your thoughts on Uber? What do you feel about it? Well, on the one hand, I have to be fair and say, 
One of the things that they did that I think was fantastic is they brought the industry into the 21st century for everybody, whether you like it or not. If you weren't into technology, didn't believe in technology, or didn't think you needed technology, they made everybody realize you need technology if you want to stay not only relevant, but stay viable. Uh, On the bad side, one of the things that I do as a lawyer for the companies that I represent is I help them with compliance with regulations. You know, years ago, back in 2002, when I first started, I probably could have memorized, you know, 25 pages of regulations. Now the Taxi Limousine Commission has a rule book that I refer to as the phone book. So I see all these other companies that have to comply with, you know, Title 59 of uh, the uh, rules of the TLC, which now is up to like 120 pages, where a small company that has, you know, let's say 25 vehicles they have to have a lawyer there just to interpret the regulations for them. Yep. You know, you can't really have a small, honest mom and pop business like, you know, you had small livery bases in the outer boroughs. who They ran an honest operation. They were never going to be multimillionaires, but they ran a good business. Most of them were immigrants. And it's a sad thing to see that Uber was able to come in and operate and jump into the space without permission, without authorization, by the time the tax and limousine came around to regulating them or Uber agreed to be regulated, it either knocked a bunch of other companies out of business or put them in such a bad position that a lot of them are still reeling from those effects. And unfortunately, I've seen a lot of them either sell to other parties or just simply close out. And that's, that's really the most heartbreaking of it all. Uh, as far as, you know, their, their business model themselves, uh, you know, time will tell whether or not they're ever able to actually turn a profit and deal with their insurance issues. Uh, I don't particularly believe in the methodology of, uh, you know, going in, busting in first and then asking for forgiveness rather than permission, which is exactly what they did. I admire the fact that they were a disruptor, but a disruptor in the sense where you're not following the law, you know, that, that sort of thing. I can't not just not condone as a lawyer, but I can't condone as a business person and say it's fair to come in, act inappropriately and the government say, all right, no big deal. Go ahead. Continue to process. I mean, I agree with everything that you said. Uh, we couldn't have said yeah, that I mean, any better. <laughs> you know, like it's it's interesting having a conversation with you because like I want to add to it. But I agree with you. Yeah, Uber sucks. <laughs> so yeah, that, that, that's what I'm adding to the whole conversation. Right. right. And I, not because, I, I, not, I want to just say not because Uber affected us. Because, I mean, yes, it affected the industry as a whole. But it didn't really hurt us. Only in Vegas, right? We could all, we could all say it hurt us in Vegas. And all these big companies are just going out there right now. They're selling to uh, big money. At a really bad time, I might add. Yeah, no. It's... At a really bad timing uh, for the guy who bought them, not so much for the well, guy who sold hasn't, out. The deal hasn't closed yet. Yeah, yeah. But Uber, um, Uber really. I see. I didn't even realize that that, that you know their their regulations alone hurt you know people trying to open up businesses. Right. You know, we talked about that on the previous podcast where um, it's it would be impossible to open up a limousine service today, a car service today. You, you, know, right. you have to have a lot of money. You have to have a lot of backing. You can insurance. you can get one car. You know, like you can have, especially in New York City, you can have one car. Sure. But if you want to try and scale higher than that, extremely hard. Yeah. Yeah. You don't realize. And what. and that's that's the Uber effect. And then also the biggest Uber effect on us is insurance. Yeah. That we have half the amount of insurance available. 
and we're paying three times as much as we used to. Mm-hmm. So I know that you're very involved in 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 the insurance Se- and sector sector of of our business. I was wondering what your thoughts are on that. Well, for a long time now, I'll probably say. Uh, Probably the past 10 years, I say pre-Uber and Lyft, I do research on a regular basis on, at the time, it was two things. It was transportation and technology. Technology and transportation. How do the two affect each other? And, you know, not saying, oh, I had a crystal ball and I could see down in the future. But I said, you know, to somebody, one day there's going to be this thing that's called an autonomous vehicle. And they said, what are you talking about? I said, well, think about it. In the old days, if I said to you, I've got this great thing that I'm going to sell to you and everybody in the world is going to be buying it. You know what that's called? It's called water. You wouldn't have believed me. If I said to you, you know, 30 years ago, I have something I'm going to sell to you. Right now it's free, but you're going to buy it. Believe it or not, you will. And she said, well, what, what is that? I said, it's cable TV about, you know, a, a coffee shop on every corner. Eventually this is going to happen. They said, well, uh, okay, well, what's the overall effect of that? And I, once Uber came to town, I said, well, okay, now I got it. The convergence of technology and transportation has the, in my opinion, the ability to uh, really uh, revolutionize certain business operations in the ground transportation industry, depending upon you know how you operate. So through the period of time when they came in, because they had major uh, issues and when the TNC laws were being created, I was uh, actively involved in the process. So then my insurance aspect became intertwined with uh, transportation. So my research that involved transportation, insurance, and technology, technology, transportation, and insurance. And it occurred to me that there are so few insurance carriers that provide insurance to ground transportation providers or for higher vehicle bases. And I said, well, why is that? And over the course of time, it was, um, well, insurance carriers only take on risks that they understand. Well, I understand that, but there are insurance carriers who write policies, but they're writing policies for companies that are just far out of whack to the risk that's available. And nowadays, there's technology that's available to essentially underwrite the risk that are based upon real risk factors. You know, traditionally risk uh, uh, insurance is underwritten based upon proxies for risk, things of which indicate how risky you are, you know, how old you are, how long you've been driving, do you have a prior driving record? Well, nowadays you have devices and telematics and vehicles that can tell you not whether or not, you know, your history tells you you'll be a good driver, whether or not you are a good driver. And that technology is being used in the personal auto line section. So as a result of my uh, research and never-ending stop to, uh, I guess, uh, keep myself uh, stimulated, I started contacting the uh, either president or CEO of just about every major insurance carrier uh, in the country. And believe it or not, through LinkedIn and a variety of other sources, I actually made contacts with just about all of them. And some of them were very interested in entering the space, and they still are. Um, and what gets me is, you know, they said, well, they would ask me about the industry and ask me how I know this. And I said, well, I've been involved in the industry for so long that, you know, you get to understand how companies operate. And what I'm trying to do now is I'm trying to bring those carriers or a group of those carriers to either fleets or bases to be able to say, you should be entitled to get lower insurance if it can be proven through the 
telematics device that you are a less risky driver. One That's of the incredible. things I think we talked about yeah. yesterday, Eric, is you know a fleet uh, typically has you know let's say uh, eighty-five to ninety percent utilization rate of their vehicles. You don't have every vehicle on the street at all times. Mm-hmm. So if you have ten percent of your vehicles that are not being used, the risk is virtually none. And that can be proven through the device in the vehicle. So why should you be paying the full load of insurance when the risk is not the same as if you were actually driving the vehicle? So I started working with a uh, company named Stable Insurance to work with reinsurers to bring this product to uh, fleets and uh, service providers. So that way the policies can be customized not to, you know, one size fits all, which would be, let's say, an owner operator, but to the actual fleet, how they operate, how they utilize their risk management. Uh, what do they do to uh, minimize risk? You know, what's their background checks of drivers? Things like that all affect the price. And when people want to enter a new space, when insurance companies are in a position where they say, well, we got to make more money in different ways, they're looking at it and they're you know happy to come in, which is, you know, why I had spoken to you yesterday, Eric, and said, you know, if this is something that you're interested in to have a you know a customized solution for your company, I'm happy to you know put the parties together. So is I'm this, not is this a real live is this a real live service that you have now? It's well, it, it's a real live service. These are people who I I deal with, the people who I speak to. I'm not involved in the service, meaning I'm not an insurance broker. Right, my right, motivation, right, right, right. my motivation is to be able to help those who I can in the industry. Let's call it everybody other than Uber and Lyft. So if there is companies, and you know, more often than not, you know this better than me, insurance is usually one of the main costs in for higher transportation. Right. So if the, that cost can be reduced significantly, nobody at the company is going to be unhappy about that. It's usually something that you'd be very happy about. And also bringing in a new carrier with new blood who's interested in working in this space would be a nice change of pace from a uh, uh, you know customer service and customer experience uh, sort of position. Mm-hmm. So my motivation is simply to help the industry and help the people in the industry as opposed to you know profiting from it some way. I commend you. It's yeah, no, unbelievable. You're, do, you're, you're doing amazing work because you know you could potentially help a lot of mom and pop operations. Our insurance broker. I'm going to give a big shout out. I could say his name, right? Yeah, Robert, Robert Pufall. He's like an uncle to Eric and I. Yeah. I mean, we've been with him for He was also a few on the decades. All-American football team and he's like 6'5". No, he's not. He's not. He's he's, he's about he's about 6 foot, but no, his he back looks so much taller. His than back that. is the size of America. His back is shaped <laughs> like the map of America. This guy is just massive. He pl- he played uh, against Brett Favre. We have to have him on here. Yeah, we have to have Pufo on. Yeah, the guy is just and he's such a good person and such a good man. He's so warm. He's such amazing energy, and he even and we've been with him for I think three decades now. Yeah, he found it impossible to get insurance. Right, and like this is the man who has been taking care of our company of insurance needs for thirty years. Right, twenty five years whatever, or something. Right, is. this is not a two year relationship. So what you're doing helping out, you know, these operators that are it's practically impossible right, to get insurance today. Right, because that the one place where ride sharing affected us was the insurance. Yep. Was the insurance, and you know, you really are doing an amazing public service to our industry 
I'm not saying that you're not going to charge for it because obviously you are. No, no, no. He's going to do it for free, right, Stephen? For podcasting. Believe it or not, this whole venture thus far <laughs> has been more of a project. And at this point, if somebody said, well, why are you doing it? What's your financial interest? And I said, I don't know. I really haven't figured it out yet. I just right. want to make it happen. That's right. great. That's great. And I, I love that you're spearheading this. Um, and I know it's such a dry topic, right? It's like ugh, we're talking about insurance now. You don't, it matters. It matters. Every business yeah. insurance no, matters. You know, shout out to every single limo operator. You guys got to listen to this podcast. And who's there, going there through is hell. Hope. Yeah. There's hope. There is. I know. Right. So I wanted to get back to um, to LinkedIn because I know that's how we connected. And I, I love talking about LinkedIn and about social marketing and how it keeps you relevant. Why are you doing what you're doing on LinkedIn? Like what, what, what's your, what's your strategy and, and how are you going about posting and have, have you gotten positive feedback? Have you actually gotten accounts through LinkedIn? Have you made connections? You know, so how, how has, how has, cause obviously for us, you know, us being on LinkedIn, you being on LinkedIn, we would have never had this opportunity together because we, we just wouldn't have known each other. So how has, uh, LinkedIn specifically, uh, affected you? Well, first it started off as just, you know, okay, like, uh, I guess kind of like Facebook where, you know, you need to connect with some people who, you know, and some people use it, you know, for, you know, let's say direct marketing. I mean, what you guys are doing is absolutely amazing. Not just because you're having me on the show and because I think you have a fantastic company, but I mean, who's doing this? Nobody. Not only did you, you know, come up with an amazing idea, but it's, it's just fantastic. Even up uh, until, you know, my comments about the pictures that you have on the, uh, on the walls in your office, like the one with the, uh, from, uh, what was the movie from Goodfellas in there that, uh, Joe Pesci's mom had painted. You know, it's amazing. And, you know, I commend you guys for doing it. The other dog's facing that way. Yeah. And, and he's wielding the knife. He looks he's... like the guy. He looks like the guy. <laughs> Billy Betts. Looks like we know. <laughs> so originally I started off uh, just, you know, connecting with certain people. And I never did anything that was a direct marketing. Like I never reached out to somebody and said, oh, okay, now we're connected. Hey, can you send me business? Can you do this? Yep. Can you do yep. that? Because yep. I don't really operate that way. The way, you know, I operate is I really don't accept client, whether it's, you know, business client or, you know, client for my, uh, the law firm, unless they come to me from somebody who I know, because I really only want to work with people who I respect and who, um, who either I respect and they refer somebody to me, then, okay, I respect them. So I don't really do it as a means to market myself. So what I started off doing is I would post my, my own comments about, you know, this is what I think about today. Or when I started to get more and more into uh, posting the pictures of, you know, old New York City, uh, people would reach out to me. And through connections after connections, it was never, okay, somebody, I connected with Joe Schmo, but it was, I connected with Joe Schmo. He liked what I had to say, and he put me in contact with Mr. X, who had a connection to Mr. Y. And then all of a sudden, Mr. Y is calling me up and says, oh, I was referred to you by, I'm not sure who it was, but... Oh, and then I tracked it back through LinkedIn. So I started off doing it just as a means to, I don't want to say occupy my time, but one of the things I do like to do is I like to educate. You know, I say, you know, the things I like to do in life uh, are, you know, innovate, educate, and create. And educate is, you know, partially is, you know, educating on the one hand clients, you know, I have to educate them about what the law is and, you know, how to legally operate your business. 
The other is, you know, sometimes educating judges. You've really got to educate a judge about, you know, the facts of a case and the law of a case. And to the, a large extent, my other, you know, public service uh, aspect is educating the public about, you know, certain things, whether it involves changes in the law or, in my case, uh, past history of New York City. This, you know, hit me. I lived in New York City for 10 years and I would walk around the city some days, uh, usually on a day off or on the weekend and just marvel at the architecture. Yep. So I can look at the pictures and say, wow, they just don't make buildings like that anymore. They just don't make things like that anymore. And the more I posted about it, it would be, all right, so I posted a couple things about um, about uh, history in New York City. And then, of course, I'll usually post something about ground transportation. Of course, when you know, the Taxi Limousine Commission does something good or bad, I put my comments in about that uh, and how it affects the industry. Anything that comes up about Uber uh, I don't ever remember posting anything positive about Uber. I never go, you know, totally overboard and, you know, totally, you know, beat them up. But it's usually, you know, th this is a bad thing that people, people around the country, they don't realize it. They don't understand, you know, how the business operates. And, you know, back in, you know, maybe four or five years ago, people were oblivious to the fact that you're getting into a vehicle with somebody who, you know, let's call it outside of New York City is, you know, could be a criminal. You know, a are they really doing back A stranger. Checks? I'm a, I'm a product yeah. of the 80s. I grew up, Eric and I grew up in the 80s. And what was the thing? Don't get into cars with strangers. Now we're in the 20s, uh, the, the 2020s. Everyone's getting into cars with strangers. It's pathetic. Yep. It, it's legalized hitchhiking, yes. at least with that. So the, the more I posted on LinkedIn, the more that I, I met amazing people like the two of you where it continuously engages me to post more because I meet more and more amazing people, exactly. whether it does something business-wise or not. I just, you know, I'd like to be able to meet, you know, solid people in a variety of industries, whether it, you know, helps me or my partners or, you know, businesses that I work with or not. That's usually peripheral, but I, I just, I really enjoy uh, speaking my mind. Somebody said to me once, you know, you're really outspoken. And this was maybe about a year or two ago. And I said, hmm. I'm not quite sure what that means. So I left the meeting and I went and looked up outspoken. And it was something like a person who has firmly held beliefs and is not afraid to share them. I said, yeah, that's right. I am outspoken. I don't have a problem saying how I feel. I got to tell you that um, getting to get being on LinkedIn and selling without selling is the key to everything. I still see these limo operators and you all know who you are of going, we got specials this weekend. I'm going to. We got private pickups this weekend. Call us for your aviation. It's like, well, it's, for, well they're yeah. using it for all the wrong reasons. But we're like, Stephen and I, what, what we're doing is we're creating value. You're creating a brand. And absolutely. you're creating a brand and it's the long game. Yes. It's the absolute long game and it's making connections that make connections that make connections. We picked up some huge business off of LinkedIn. We picked up some amazing accounts on LinkedIn, but we were never looking for it. Right. We never, oh, uh, can you use me? You know, I think I've reached out to a couple people in the past and just go, oh, I own a global car service. Sometimes love to work that with you. works like one time, one out of a yes. thousand that will work. Yeah, but it's about but the uh, long game. The, it's, it's all about online creates reputation and it creates familiar familiarity. Yeah. And that's what, you know, like you can run into Steven in the court and you can be like, I know that guy. Right. Where, where do I know that guy from? And then immediately the ice is broken. And time and time again, we will walk into client meetings. We will meet new vendors. We will meet new employees. And they want our autographs. And they know us already. <laughs> At the limo show, I was quite the celebrity. I wish you were there. But, um, you know, 
we we go into things and you having people know who you are before you're there is 50% of the problem of breaking the ice because they already they they already know what you're about and if they like you it's a slam dunk i want to i want to say about technology you mentioned something before steven and i found it fascinating you're pro technology you, you know you're very forward thinking Tell us your thoughts about autonomous vehicles. Do you think, you know, like, yeah, I, do, we have, I, think, I think they're going to be here, right? I, say, I, I don't. I think, I, I think I, eventually they're going to be here. I, I just, you know, I don't know when it I could don't be. think that they're going to be here in any meaningful capacity, be outside of like college campuses or a large hospital or something like that or, or, or Disneyland or something. Steve Ballmer laughed at Steve Jobs and said, who's going to pay $1,000 for an iPhone? And it's the biggest thing in the world. So yeah, but self-driving. But you know what? Like, my phone. I had to restart my phone yesterday. Or you, you ever get a phone call and you're trying to swipe to answer and it just won't swipe to answer? That hasn't happened in about two phones for me, by the way. Well, it, it still happens to me, and I think when that happens, how a self-driving car has to be perfect, and if you're running on software, it it can it can never be. Well, I know what your opinion on self-driving cars is. I want to ask our guest steven self-driving cars yay or nay i believe there will come a time where there will be self-driving autonomous vehicles i think the the pitch uh, let's say um nine years ago was it was going to be here by 2020 right. now we right. I, I all know that's not true uh, i do believe one day that they will be here but let me go back a little bit to give you at least my theory on why self-driving vehicles is, is such a big thing or in our industry is my personal opinion is I do believe that Uber and Lyft were smart enough at the outset to say we need to survive for let's say seven to ten years of being in the red but there will come a time and you know they're working on it either directly or indirectly where we will get rid of drivers we will not have to pay drivers and when the autonomous vehicle comes, that's when they'll turn it from the red into the black because they won't have to pay the drivers. Yeah, they'll have to pay for other things, but it's not going to be the cost of labor, the cost of litigation and so forth. Now, whether or not we see them on a mass scale in our lifetimes, I'm not sure. I do believe, yeah, college campuses, uh, smaller towns, uh, areas that are not so densely populated. Yep. Uh, some people think it's, you know, impossible that how could a car ever drive itself but when you think about it nowadays computers are you know not okay you input information it's a, a computer nowadays is doing uh literal um artificial intelligence planes where it's fly, learning planes fly themselves yeah but they still have a pilot and what amazes me two, and I, two pilots. I'll, I'll, I said it before and i'll say it again you know you have waymo you have google you have uber you have all of these huge companies with hundreds of thousands of employees, right? So why why doesn't Uber have five thousand employees? Why doesn't Google have five thousand employees? They're automation, machine learning, all of those hit words, all of those keywords. Amazon. Amazon. Why isn't it automated? Automated. Why is Amazon hiring forty thousand people? And that has nothing to do with delivery truck drivers. Oh, it doesn't? No. Like, wh why are they hiring so many different people? I think because there are automate. We have aspects of automation in our business, but it's still, we're still relied on. And I think that it's still such a human world where 
making this connection with Steven over and a social like network. Me, set, me setting up this podcast for today took me about 10 minutes. And there's a lot, I'm sure there's a lot of automation going on in the background. We have three cameras in this room. He has his webcam. This sounds great. We have five screens. It's recording. But make no mistake, this has to be edited by a person. You would think that we can go upload these videos to some machine and it would edit it perfectly and it would add subtitles and it would do all of these things. If we can't do that yet, then we're going to have a machine going 60 miles an hour that weighs 3,000 pounds with your kid in the back seat and you're going to expect that machine to drive perfectly and know, and know every single circumstance that's going to happen. The, the we can't the do that. Does. The airplane does. But it doesn't, but we still have a pilot in case. Two pilots. Exactly. Right. Or isn't there like three people in the cockpit? I, I, don't, even, I yeah. don't even know. Yeah. But that's, that's what I can't correlate, that there's so many things that you would seem to be really easy, just this podcast alone, but that hasn't happened yet. So how on, not saying that it can happen, not saying that self-driving cars can happen, but I don't even know if it's going to be in our kid's lifetime. I really, really don't. When, 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 when this podcast can be automated, but then we're talking about driving a car and, and that's so much more complicated and there's so many more variables. You don't have right. to worry about getting into an, an accident when you're editing a podcast. Right. But I don't disagree with you, Eric. I think, you know, what you're saying is, is correct. And in our, our lifetime, having a fully autonomous vehicle where you don't have somebody behind the wheel, it's not likely to happen. But on the other hand, some of the things that I post on LinkedIn are kind of like, remember when, so it ties into New York City, remember when you had a cell phone that was the size of a shoebox? Nobody would have ever thought in their lifetime that what uh, Michael is doing right now on his phone could be, you know, a mini computer, you know, 100%. a camera. Uh, you know, a calculator, email, phone, the whole thing. I just want to mention. I just want to mention that both of my kids have pink eye, so I'm just texting my wife. You can keep them home. Don't worry. Don't send them to school. I mean, like, I'm happy Kayla that Kayla got Kayla got it. Kayla got pink eye. My son had pink eye for the last two days, um, and now my daughter has it. So well, just, school's going to be closed soon anyway. Yeah. So, so I'm, you know, they're better off home with what's every school in our area is closed except except our, schools, our district. Except our district. The, the one. In north, the one south, south the, east, and west. Yeah, they're and like, all we're like closed. right in the center, and ours are still open. So. Right. Do you have Do you have children, Stephen? Yeah, four. <laughs> you have four kids. My God, what are their ages? Uh, thirteen, sixteen, uh, twenty three, and twenty six. Gee, I thought you were my age. Jesus, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm forty eight. I'll be forty nine later this year. Congratulations, man. That's unbelievable. Four kids. Mm. We have four kids between us, and that's plenty. It's just. I don't know. I don't yeah. know how you do it. It's just so much. <laughs> Dealing with my the, two. I wanted time three. Flies. I wanted three until I had two, and I was like, "I'm. I got my boy. I got my girl. I'm done." But, um, yes, you're right. With the technology, I'm texting my wife now to say, "Keep them home. Don't worry about it." You know, we don't have to think about. Uh, I don't have to worry if they're going to get coronavirus in their school or whatnot. But they both have pink eyes, so. Not texting on my computer, handheld computer. Yeah, no, no doubt wife. it's amazing. No doubt there's a, a a lot of amazing technology, but I still think that has nothing to do with self-driving cars and and I all understand. The, and all the variables that go along with it. Uh, Stephen, I always thought 
then my brother should have been a lawyer. My parents wanted me to be a lawyer. Now I can't do schooling. And I purposely, I'm not joking, I purposely failed the LSATs. Um, I would say about five times. They kept saying, you got to keep trying, you got to keep trying. Because I, I, I don't know if this is a blessing or a curse, but I have a photographic memory. I remember the smallest detail on the most obscure thing that you could ever imagine. And my parents always thought that would be to my benefit. And they always pushed me to go into law school. So I got, um, I was, I went to CW Post, I got an English degree and uh, they were pushing me to go to law school, go to law school. And I just, I, the LSAT to me was like, like speaking Greek. You know, I, I didn't understand it, didn't want to understand it. And um, I could, I couldn't possibly understand it. Right. And then I went back and I got a degree in finance from Hofstra. And then I, uh, I went back to my alma mater, CW Post, Long Island University, and I got my MBA. And um, it helped, you know, I, I, I enjoyed getting my MBA, but at this point, like I learned so much more sitting and talking to someone like you than I would sitting in a criminal, you know, criminal uh, defense class, you know. Well, I can, I can tell you from my point of view, you're, you're much better off working uh, at the family biz with a smile yeah. on your face, working with your, your mom and your brother and yeah. doing the things that you're doing. Because uh, from my opinion, I can't say I would go back and change what I did. But if anybody asked me today, uh, should you go to law school? My answer would be a resounding no. Why? You know, yeah, heard, why? I, we hear that from Our every cousin lawyer. Jason, I said, you know, he's got three very smart kids. And I say, like, you know, and his wife uh, was a lawyer. Uh, she owns a really nice business now, uh, Dana and Jason. And, I, I, you know, I said, oh, you're going to have your kids be a lawyer? He goes, I would rather, like, they be garbage men than, so than be a lawyer. What, what is this, this stigma with being a lawyer? Because it seems like... Well, on the one hand, I mean, you, you said it to begin with, well, the LSAT. Well, what is the, what is the LSATs and the questions there have anything to do with practicing law? Nothing. I don't know. It, oh, you you two, tell me. Two trains are traveling oh. 80 miles an hour each. One has teddy bears. One has feathers. Who gets to the train station first? And you have to logically figure that out and deduct its deductive reasoning. It was torture. It was torture. And mom's like, do it again. Do it again. And they gave me tutors and everything. And and I was like, if this is the law, I'm I not interested. I want to hear from the lawyer. Yeah, no, I'm putting my two cents in. <laughs> the law school, the LSATs, even the bar exam has nothing to do with practicing law. So you come out, you really know nothing, and your options nowadays is you know you're going to have uh, anywhere from 150, 175 to 250 thousand dollars in loans. You have to get a job to be able to pay those loans back. And most people these days can't get a job that is going to pay them enough money to at least pay their loans back. So, you know, starting off in that position is never good. Also, uh, the market's flooded with lawyers. And like anything with supply and demand, where you have, you know, way too much supply, it's it drives down the uh, quality of the service because people are saying, well, I have to charge less because I want to be able to get this account and I'll charge less, but by the nature of charging less, they're probably going to do a poorer job. You know, that's one. Two is all the time, I hate to say it, but I go into court, about a third of the work I do is litigation. So I go into court and, you know, me, the way I am, I'm always professional. I'm always there on time. I always dress nice. I always properly address the court and do the things that you're supposed to do. I see people that come in, it looks like they rolled out of bed wearing their suit. I see, you know, the judge ask a question like, you know, what date did this happen? Like, you know, you don't know this, you know, you got to look through your file. Oh, I don't have that in my file. Well, then go back to your office and get it. So 
I see people every day where I said, if they, their client saw how they acted in court and how unprofessional they are, I don't know if they'd want them as their lawyer. And it happens just way too often where it, it gives the profession a black eye. And more so these days, you have to be you have to be different. You have to think outside the box. You've got to have something different. And I say there's uh, you know two types of lawyers. You have you know the worker bee, and then you have the rainmaker. Each has their place in you know a firm or their place in society. Sometimes the the worker bee, they're just look, they can't deal with people or talk to somebody on a coherent basis. Or you have the rainmaker who has you know great people skills, but couldn't you know find their way into the courthouse if you directed them there. Right. Uh, Having you've got to have something different than the rest. You've got to have something that is that stands out. So one of the things, you know, uh, whether uh, intentional or unintentional, uh, when people ask me now what I do, when I tell them, uh, you know, I represent different aspects of the four hire vehicle industry, people always say, you mean like Uber and Lyft? I said, well, not really. I don't represent Uber and Lyft. Let's just make it clear. Uh, But no. But before Uber and Lyft, people were like, what is that? What's the right. four-hire vehicle industry, you know? And then I would explain it to them. So it was something that uh, I enjoyed doing pre-Uber and Lyft, and now the people know more about it. Uh, it seems, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to be able to carve out a niche in an area that was growing at the time. I don't want to say it's shrinking now. It's just become the, the field has become very uh, complicated for yeah. a lot of people. And, and I feel bad for the the smaller operators who were – you know, literally you know, scraping two nickels together, trying to uh, stay alive, which is, you know, whether for uh, the benefit of, you know, be, being able to sleep well at night, I like to be able to do things for other people just, you know, out of the goodness of my heart. I'm not saying I'm completely altruistic, but I get calls from people all the time who refer to me by somebody who says, oh, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? And they say, uh, you know, how much are you going to charge? I said, I'm not going to charge you anything. It's, you know, it, it's my pleasure to, you know, just you know, take care of yourself. Hopefully you can stay in business and they, and they appreciate it. You know, saying thank you goes a long way. And going back to the legal profession, I mean, getting two lawyers in a room, you can't talk like normal human beings. It's like, <laughs> you know, when you're, I said, my, my statement is most lawyers were kids who were either stuffed in the locker when they were in high school. And this is their way to get back at somebody by being able to cross examine them or they were the kids who didn't play well in the sandbox with others. It just translates into a different forum. And, you know, you those come across the two that. Best def- I'm sorry for interrupting, Stephen. That is the, yeah. Those are the two best definitions because what he just defined, I could shoehorn four or five lawyers that I know right. into those two definitions. Right. You know? It's funny. It's, it's unbelievable. That was, it was absolutely brilliant. I've never heard of that before. Right. It was brilliant. Well, he lives, eat, and breathes this. So, yeah. which one were you? Were you the kid that was stuffed into the uh, locker, or the uh, the other one? Neither. I was. I'm <laughs> just like the one who is uh, ha- has to be different just for the sake of being different. Right. You know, I kind of like to stir things up. I you know if uh, somebody said go A, I would go B, just because somebody said go A. Right. You know, and somebody said to me, "No, you can't do this, kid." You know, when I wanted to get into some field or I'll take on some you. type of project. Right. If somebody told me you can't do it, I was going to do it because one, I wanted to prove them wrong, and two, I never had an inferiority complex. 
a lot of lawyers, they either have inferiority complexes and they you know, want to exert their you know, seemingly powerful self by either you know, cross-examining somebody or you know, playing you know, gamesmanship in court and things of that nature. For me, I, I guess uh, uh, I, I don't want to say practicing law at this point is easy, but it's not really the most challenging thing at this point. I'm not minimizing it. What I like to do the most, I like to get involved in the business operations of the ground transportation industry and working with the business side of my client's business and helping them from a business perspective as well as a legal perspective, because I think I bring that to the table. So I was always a little bit different than the others. Fortunately, uh, I wasn't stuffed in the locker and I believe I always played well with the others in the sandbox. So, you know, when when there's a, uh, a dispute amongst, you know, five lawyers in a room, I'm the one to stand up and say, come on, can't we all get along? Can't you talk one at a time? It's like, you know, you go back to the basics, you know, respect the person who is next to you unless you have a reason to not respect them. Mm-hmm. Now, I say to people, uh, you know, when it comes to dealing with other lawyers, I always give other lawyers or really all people for that matter. Uh, every professional courtesy I possibly can, unless there's a reason not to. So I'm as nice as can be to everybody unless. So if, but if you cross me, then that's when the wrath comes out. So that's like what I refer to as my uh, the Incredible Hulk side, where, you know, you go from zero to a thousand in the right. span of, you know, action of a second where you see red fortunately i don't let myself get that excited about it anymore because i just like to be able to say you know what i'm going in i'm doing a good job as long as i win my cases and my clients like my uh service that's what matters to me Stephen, let me ask you a question where do you think the industry is going the ground transportation industry where do you see it in five years well i believe a lot of it's going to have to do with um I won't say a lot of it, but a large portion of it is going to have to do with what happens to Uber and Lyft. I don't want to say this is the first issue, but I'm not 100% sold on the fact that they're going to be here five years from now. Right. And put aside their um, put aside their perspectives of you know we don't know if we're ever going to be a profitable company. Well, with what's going on in California with AB five. Certain things that are being put forth in New York, yeah, they'll politic to get you know the an exception or a, a referendum on the ballot. But if their drivers are deemed to be statutory employees, it's game over for them. Right. Uh, whether or not that's remote, uh, I don't know, but it's not outside the realm of possibilities. So I think a lot of it has to do with what happens to them. Uh, let's assume that they stay around because that's probably the more likely event. Uh, I think over the past. I'll say five years, and I think this will continue, more and more people who were not tech savvy are becoming more tech savvy. The people who were tech savvy are becoming even more business savvy to be able to figure out, you know, to stay ahead of the curve. It's like I, I always say, you know, I don't work for today. I'm working for next year. You know, the people who think that way, I believe, are the ones who wind up being successful because you're anticipating what may happen. And if the good happens, then great. If the bad happens, you're prepared to deal with it. Uh, I've seen too many people who said, you know, this is what I've done in the past. It's always worked in the past. I'm going to continue to do it. And those are the people who, unfortunately, I've seen, you know, dramatic loss in business to the point where they're just about out of business. You know, for example, people that say, hey, I'm going to advertise on AM radio. I'm like, are you kidding? Right, you know, right. advertising on AM radio these days. I mean, maybe that worked 30 years ago, but 
not anymore. It's reinventing uh, yourself. It's reinventing who you are as a person. And that's what this podcast is all about. It's, it's about reinventing, you know, this is so out of Eric's comfort zone. I mean, not at this point. I mean, we're about almost a I'm year holding, into the podcast. I'm holding my own. Yeah, no, but you know, this is so against of what Eric felt that was the right thing to do. And the same thing with me with social media. I didn't think it was the right thing to go on LinkedIn because, you know, social media is stupid. But let me tell you something. You, you have to reinvent yourself. Constant and never-ending improvement. And I agree. I agree with everything you just said about the industry. Well, I, I think the companies think that stay ahead of the curve and think to the future and are able to uh, overcome and adapt. And, you know, that's a, a broad category, but to think outside the box, what are you not doing that others are doing? What are you doing that can be done better, whether that be, you know, in the nature of your, your dispatch or technology, the vehicles, uh, your employees, the customer service experience. A lot of that all has to do with, you know, the overall effect of, you know, supply and demand, how many drivers you have and what the demand is from the public. And, uh, you know, that that's never in perfect harmony, but you want to be able to keep it in perfect harmony as much as possible. One of the things uh, a client uh, had said to me, obviously I won't reveal the client, but a uh, client had said to me, you know, where do you think I'm going to be in a couple of years? And I said, well, you're not going to be where you once were, but you will have a slice of New York pie. You just have to find where your slice is and exactly. be as good as you can with it. Absolutely. So That's, some people may yeah. grow, some people may not. Yeah. You know, I think everything that you said rings true a hundred percent. I think one thing that a lot of operators have to focus on is the human to human connection. Mm. Because I think all this technology does, all this LinkedIn does, all the social media marketing does, is that it it you can do all of those things, but if you can't talk, if you can't practice what you preach, hundred percent, and you can't you can't fulfill what you're advertising, then it's going to all be for naught. And I think the human to human connection still exists, and I think you have to double down on your customer service, on your relationship building skills. And making people feel comfortable with you. And I think that goes, just goes along with any business in general. That if you want to succeed, you must be a people person. I agree. Especially in this industry. Yeah. You got to have personality. That's yeah. everything. Yeah. You got to have personality with your clients. You got to be... Um, because at this point, like technology, this, you know, it's all the same cars. It's all, all the same drivers. It's all the same technology. You know, everybody can track their cars. Everybody you know, has an online reservation system, you know, if, if all that stuff is the same, you, of course, you can have your own innovations, you can have your own secret sauce, you can have your own um, uh, ways of doing those types of technologies. But ultimately, what it comes down to is the relationship that you make with people. 100%. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with that without a doubt. I mean, whether it's a telephone operator, or particularly the drivers, I mean, a lot of times, uh, the drivers can make or break, uh, you know, not only a trip, but a potential account. And, you know, I think day. it's amazing yeah. when, when I first started, you know, following you guys, I saw, you know, you're having like outdoor barbecue luncheons for your drivers, you know, across the country and, yeah. and you know, providing, you know, I call it driver day where I'm like, nobody's doing this. Nobody that I know, you know, they treat their drivers like, you know, a commodity yeah. where you're giving them, you know, lunch, respect and treating somebody like a regular human being. Well, you know, when the, the, philo the philosophy the philosophy behind that is we had an epiphany, and we were we were going really hard with our clients. We were taking them out. We were seven nights a week. We, you know, we we were we were really 
creating amazing relationships with them. And then what we thought is, what happens if we do that with everybody that we know? So then that was, that was what kicked off saying, you know what, we have to appreciate the drivers more. For every meal that we go and take a client out for, we have to go and do that for the company. We have to go and do that for a vendor. We have to, we have to be giving to everybody. And that was the epiphany that we had. And since we started doing that, the love and the energy, the morale, of the, the morale company. of the company is through the roof. The morale of our vendors, the morale of our lawyers, of our insurance people, of everybody that we deal with, it becomes an infectious energy. And if whoever, if if you're dealing with somebody and they're not into what you're doing, they'll just fade away. Right. And then people who want that infectious energy of being good and being nice, and even being good and being nice does cost more because you have to give more. But the ultimate goal is that you want to give people in more value than you get in return. And it's from this book that I read um, 10 years ago. It was called The Science of Getting Rich more than 10 years ago. It was 11 years ago I read this book, The Science of Getting Rich. It was written in 1910. I don't know if you've ever read it, Stephen. Um, it's Wallace D. Waddles, my favorite book of all time. You know? No, no, never read it, but yeah, I'm highly, a voracious reader, so I'd be happy to go get it. Highly recommended, and um, it got us to this point today in our in Eric and my career. You know, I bought a yeah. copy for every one of my family and said, "Read it." And the, you know, um, people read it and they didn't apply it. Oh, I mean, they're applying it no matter what. That's the point right. of it. Is that y you have a subconscious mind? I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're a lawyer, limo operator, the president of the United States. You have a subconscious mind, and what you instill in that subconscious mind is going to manifest into your reality. Clearly, Stevens using it. Right. You know, he's using it for the good and his life is it's it's a manifesting the reality of what he's thinking about. Right. And listen, it's not all puppy dogs and ice cream. Shitty things still happen. Like today, what's going on with the coronavirus? It's terrible. But you know what? It, I have a chapter in there called setbacks. It's called setback schmetback. That setbacks are only there to teach you to keep moving forward and to not lose sight of your goals. And the setback's going to go away. We weathered 9-11. We weathered the 2008 crash. We weathered all those stupid lawsuits. The writer strike. The writer strike, which was devastating to our company. Yeah, by far, be, the writer strike affected us more than the recession, 100%. more than the coronavirus, because a large portion of our business is movie productions. Right. And we drive all of those movers and shakers in that industry. And when the writer strike was going on, it was uh, it was devastating. That was that was, a, that was one of the hardest times ever. Right. But now we're in the middle of coronavirus. We're we're down. I wouldn't say we're down as much as our competition, but we're definitely feeling it. Um, but we know we're going to come roaring back. Nothing is ever permanent. Agreed. Yeah, you know, the limitations aren't yours. The issues aren't yours, particularly to your company. It's the nature of what's going on outside the four walls of the office. When that changes, uh, everybody will, in one way or another, overcome and adapt and hopefully be 100%. better for dealing with it. So I had one final question, and Michael usually asks this, but I'll ask it since he forgot. I didn't what, forget. What, I didn't book, what books have been inspirational to you? Books, audio tapes, movies have been inspirational to you that kind of to sit, grow your personal brand. Yeah, to, no, but to grow to grow your to grow you. You know, like what 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 has changed your life um, to make your attitude good? Hmm. Uh, interesting. I don't know if I could point to any particular uh, there book. Was no aha moment. There was no like aha moment. Like, oh, I get it now. I don't think so. I don't think there was ever any, I mean, I've read uh, 
lots of books that I enjoyed and uh, would probably have read, you know, three, four, 10, 15 times, you know, movies that I've seen, you know, 500 times. And I still watch them 500 times. Like, you know, Rocky comes on, I could, you know, say the words to it, but I'll still watch it. So my wife says, are you watching Rocky again? I'm like, yeah, I'm watching Rocky again. But so like we're big believers in that media and pop culture, pop culture influence you a tremendous amount and usually those messages are very good the message in rocky is unbelievable yep right so probably in some way or another rocky influenced you to be who you are and and the rocky message is awesome yes we got our answer (laughs) rocky (laughs) sylvester sloan One, one way or another, uh, maybe it was Rocky, maybe not. I think uh, maybe I had an, uh, an unknown epiphany maybe about 10 years or so ago. I used to always rush to get where I was going, and I'd either just make it or I was you know, sweating getting there. I was just late. I was making excuses why I was late. And I said, why am I doing this to myself? It's just making my blood pressure go up, making my cholesterol go up, it's making me anxious. And then all of a sudden I realized – I was getting places early and on time. I didn't have that anxiety. I went to work with, you know, a happier attitude. I found myself, you know, going out of my way to do nice things for other people just because. You know, for example, I went into a local pharmacy the other day. and A woman, you know, knocked over, I don't know, uh, let's say a, a, a whole thing of gum. There were 20 things on the floor. And I, with a position where I was, I could easily walk out and act like I didn't see it. But I walked over and I picked them all up and I put them back where they were. And the woman said, thank you. Thank you very much. And no, my, no problem. My pleasure. You know, just another thing to say, I always want to do as best as I can do and be the best that I can be. And if other people can do that, I think the world would be a much better place. And there's nothing better than working with people who you like and who you respect. There's nothing better than being with people who you like and respect. And you can only be the best that you can be. And and in my opinion, the epiphany moment was I'll be the best that I can be. Other people will be whatever they're going to be. And, you know, hopefully they, um, you know, one day have their moment where they're not being a bad person. Because at the end of the day, I believe everybody falls on one side or the other. You're either good or you're bad. And, you know, and I don't mean bad like you're a criminal, but uh, where this came from, (laughs) other than uh, me trying to not be late anymore, I don't know if it came from a book or whatnot, because I get a lot of inspiration from uh, a lot of different sources, whether it be, you know, some things that I post about, like about Lou Gehrig, how, you know, he got up and how he did his speech. My favorite posts that he does is the menus. Oh yeah, the old, the old school menus because like we love simple food and we're also very big into health and we feel that you know let food be thy medicine type right deal. and and like seeing what people used to eat and how healthy they looked right uh, strong and vivacious and right. their skin was great and stuff like that yeah. and then you go look at the menu from you know 1918 and it was mutton with kidney right and you know? cream like yeah. real heavy cream from the <laughs> local farms like that's yeah. that stuff. That gets us excited. And yeah, I agree. The menus are awesome. Keep, keep posting menus. I, every time I come across one, I say, I look at it and I want to say, okay, it's not just an old menu. I want to find something in there that's interesting. Like an appetizer was like peaches. Like, was that the thing to order as an appetizer? Right. And, and then, you know, I'll look at the prices and say, cantaloupe was 10 cents, but the mutton was 25 cents. I'm like, is that, you know, spread, was that, you know, significant back then or not? But then I look at everything else and I'm like, there's always something in there that's kind of gross. But everybody seems to look at them and the comments that come up are, 
who's going to eat calf's head or who's going to eat, you know, uh, this, that, or the other yeah. thing. I said, I don't know. Not me. I just posted the menu. Eric and I probably would. Yeah. Steven, you are fascinating. Tell us where people can find you, you know, the name of your company and, you know, any social media that pe you want people to follow you with. Um, I, uh, for the most part, I believe it or not, I usually keep a low profile. Okay. A lot of times I, um, you know, kind of like going back to what I had said before is I don't advertise my services. I don't advertise what I do. Uh, it's all kind of word of mouth. So it's not like I want to say, um, you know, I, I don't want anybody to find me, but the Fair truth enough. of the matter is, is yeah, Fair if somebody enough. wants to find me, you can go on, you know, my website, uh, uh, I don't know, you know, we've got a bunch of different domain names, whether it be uh, uh, Shanker Law Firm, Shanker PC, or whatever uh, happens to come up. Um, LinkedIn's always a good way. Uh, yeah. I've had Shanker varying, yeah, I've had varying experiences on LinkedIn from, you know, I look at somebody when they want to, you know, friend request you, and some of them say uh, something interesting, but I'm kind of like, eh, I don't know, it seems like they're going to market me something. And then the minute I hit accept, they send me a message, you know, pitching me for whatever. I'm like, oh, yeah. okay, great. What? I get you know, those. I get six, seven of those a day. What is that? I just, you know, a guy's like, oh, no, imagine, I, no imagination. And they, hi, and so it's such a canned e uh, DM to me on LinkedIn. It's like, I, you know, I want to be nice to everyone, but I don't even respond to these people. I mean, I accept every friend request. And, and do the, they do the, they DM you and say like, yeah, oh, yeah, they, they do. And I mean, I'll read it, and you know, I'm not gonna. Um, you know, just throw some some away just because they did that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it could be worthwhile. Oh, of course, you know, absolutely. And certainly, you know, I want to, you know, I want people, I want people to treat me the way I would treat anybody else. So right. I'll, I'll be nice to anybody. Fair enough. But, Steven, that was fun, man. Thank you for coming on, and you know, agreed, we yeah. really appreciate it. And, and you can uh, come on anytime. We'll be seeing you on LinkedIn. I know you hooked up with Kevin, so uh, hopefully we'll be working together in the near future. And well, um, it was a pleasure. Do you have any questions for thank us? You for, or, like you're good. Thank you for having me. I, I, I really, uh, I really appreciate it. As you can tell, I, I don't have a problem speaking or, uh, you know, oh, engaging it. in dialogue. That was great. And I think over uh, a short period of time, just the, the back and forth between myself and Eric, it's kind of like you don't know somebody. You see a picture of them, but you kind of get an idea of what kind of person that they are. So, of course, right. you know, then I start looking at, you know, your your posts. Then I look at, you know, the uh, the, the videos that you're putting together. Mm -hmm. And then you learn about your business, the history. You know, your, 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 I, I watched the other one uh, the other day with um, uh, that you, you had your mom on as, you know, a, a guest. And I thought that was amazing. And it's Thank like you. you learn so much about other people and. Uh, when you first started doing this, I remember I reached out to Eric and I said something like, uh, you know, if you do a fantastic job, I'd love it. If you ever, you know, want to have a guest, uh, a guest on, I'd be more than happy to do it. So when he contacted me and, uh, I think it would be a LinkedIn, I don't know if you have my email at the time. He said, you know, do you want to be a guest in our show? I must've taken about two seconds to respond. Yep. And said, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. This, yeah. Is, this was absolutely. great. This was so great. It was, it was, we're so on the same page with him. Yeah. You know. That's great. All right, Stephen. Thank you. And um, like, subscribe, share, leave comments down below on how awesome Stephen is because he is. <laughs> and uh, we'll catch you guys next time. Later. Later Thanks very kindly. Look forward to it next time. Definitely. Likewise. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye.